Hey everyone, welcome to season 3, episode 27 of Sugidama podcast, the podcast about Japanese sake, the drink whose true history started during the Nara period in the 8th century and went through all the centuries until our time, fundamentally unchanged. And in this episode, I'm going to tell you about how sake became the sake we all know, what was the major factor and who were the first brewers. But before we talk about it, let me tell you about our sponsor, London Sake, who have one of the widest selections of premium and craft sake available online today. You can choose from over 100 sake from 25 breweries, and they will deliver across the UK and many European markets. And if you don't know what sake to choose, you can use simple online tasting notes together with very sensible and affordable food pairings to help you decide. What's more, you can get a 10% discount by just using the code SUGIDAMA, all caps, during checkout. London Sake, making sake simple. My name is Alex, and I live in London. I am a certified sake specialist, sake judge, sake educator, and sake advocate. Besides this podcast, I have SUGIDAMA blog, where I write about all things sake, publish tasting notes, overviews, and information about sake events happening in London. By the way, one of the events I would like to remind you about is Nomikai, the sake experience on March 31st at HIS Japan Premium, a new Japanese groceries and sake store opened at the end of the last year in London on Shaftesbury Avenue, where I'm going to talk about, of course, sake, the myths, that surround it, how it's made, and answer any questions about the drink to the extent of my modest knowledge and abilities. The event includes a tasting of four premium sake, a souvenir, and a 10% discount at the shop for selected sake on the day of the event. So if you live not far away and would like to come and say hello, or you have friends who never tried sake before, the link to the event is in the show notes. There's a fee to attend, but I think it's reasonable. Another thing I would like to mention is reviews. I've got a couple of them recently, and I'm going to read out one today. It's from Jamie Ryder, who publishes excellent Yamata magazine and who once wrote an article for Sugidama blog. It's a five-star review and reads as follows a must-listen podcast for sake fans of all levels. The Sugidama podcast is an excellent podcast for people who are new to sake and those who've been drinking it for years. Alex is great at breaking down technical information, sharing interesting sake stories, and spreading the good word. Would definitely recommend for anyone with an interest in Japanese culture. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. And if you feel like him, please spare a few minutes and leave a review of your own. Also, Spotify now has a rating feature for podcasts. So if you use it for listening to this podcast, please rate it there. Now, let's go back to our topic of Japanese sake.
In the first episode of this mini-series, we were talking about sake predecessors and ancient methods of sake brewing. But a very important thing happened during the Nara period in the 8th century in Japan, which made it possible to start making the sake which was much closer to what we have now and basically marked the birth of modern sake. And it's of course koji. Koji, as we know, is a mold which used to live on rice but was domesticated, so to speak, more than 2000 years ago. Usually, when people hear the word mold, they have a negative image. Of course, if something is moldy, it's probably spoiled. But think of blue cheese, which has mold, or cured meats, for example. Same with koji. It's a nice, friendly mold, responsible for many Asian foods like miso paste, soy sauce, and of course, sake. So what is koji? I actually had a super interesting conversation about it with Akemi Yokoyama, a certified koji specialist on this podcast. If you haven't listened to it, it's episode 16. But quickly, it's a microorganism with the scientific name Aspergillus oryzae, and it's basically a fungus. I couldn't find a definite answer to whether koji was brought to Japan from China or domesticated locally. Probably both, probably in parallel. But koji was known in China as chu uh, for a few centuries before it appeared in Japan. The process of creating chu for use in fermentation is believed to have originated some three, four thousand years ago and has been introduced throughout Asia. The oldest Chinese agricultural book, Qimin Yaoshu, written in the 6th century, describes the use of koji starter for making alcohol. In Japan, wild koji was responsible for making sake probably for some time, before the first record of making sake with koji I was talking about in the previous episode of the series, when a man brewed moldy rice which was left in the shrine as an offering to gods and had a party. So first people were using wild koji to make alcohol, probably leaving cooked rice to stay somewhere until it got moldy and then using it to make sake. However, gradually they were learning more about this amazing microorganism and found a way to cultivate it. Around the 10th century common era, they started using the so-called tomodane or tomokoji method. As I understand, they kept a well-made koji starter on cooked rice, like probably we keep a sourdough starter. You feed it regularly and make sure it doesn't get spoiled with unfriendly bacteria. However, this method was of course not very stable. Mind, there were no fridges that time to keep the koji starter in. Around the Muramachi period, in the 14th-16th centuries, Japan sake brewers found a way to stabilize the Aspergillus oryzae spores by adding wood ash to steamed rice. This is the base of modern koji starters. Why ash? Because it has alkali, it prevents many harmful bacteria to grow in the starter, making it purer. Ash also contains phosphoric acid and potassium, which are the nutrients for koji, while copper 
zinc and other minerals that are minor components of the ash have the power to promote adhesion of spores as well as improve the color of spores. Initially, sake makers cultivated their own koji. It was either ambient or wild, living in the brewery, or cultivated as I have just described. But gradually we can see the emergence of specialized koji merchants who were growing koji spores and selling them to sake makers during the Muramachi period. It was quite a profitable business, but sake sales were also flourishing and breweries started making their own koji again. We will talk about it in a few moments, but sake brewing that time was mostly concentrated in temples. So the Koji Merchant Guild in Kyoto had an exclusive right to make koji at that time, and they tried to enforce it, asking the shogunate to ban koji making at sake breweries. Sake makers and sake stores appealed to Enryakuji Temple, a base for sake production at that time. The struggle was going for probably 20-25 years and involved lawsuits, violence, the army and many other dramatic events. In the end, breweries won and the monopoly was abolished. I read it returned a hundred or so years after that, but it was too late. Still, nowadays, most of the breweries in Japan buy koji spores from koji merchants because it's probably more efficient than making it themselves. There are breweries that use wild or ambient koji or make it themselves, but not many as I understand. So the story of koji in Japan, and especially in sake brewing, is really fascinating. You can probably make a TV series about the koji revolt in Kyoto. And there are a lot of other events that happened at that time and later. So I will keep it in mind for future episodes. Okay. Before we talk about the evolution of sake brewing, let me remind you about London Sake, our sponsor, and their huge selection of curated sake sets, which provide a great opportunity to explore various styles and types of sake. Have a look, but don't forget about the magic word SUGIDAMA, all caps, to get your 10% discount. So, as the most alcoholic drinks, emerged in ancient times. Sake first was made by people at their homes, mostly for self-consumption. The proper sake making in Japan started during the Nara period, which is just a reminder the 8th century common era at the imperial court. And what I mean by proper is made by professional sake brewers. At the beginning of the Nara period, or probably a bit earlier, a special office called Sake no Tsukasa, responsible for making sake, was established at the imperial court. Its main duty was supervising the brewing of sake, amazake, and vinegar. A person supervising sake making was called Sakabe, which is probably similar to Toji, a master brewer in typical sake brewery. The government department was also often called Sakabe. Sake no Tsukasa was a pretty large imperial office consisting of three buildings for rice polishing, koji starter making, and sake brewing and storing. At the start, the sake made by sake no Tsukasa was done by mixing rice 
rice koji and water and brewing for 10 days. It produced light sake. Later, the method became more complex, with sake being brewed several times, which was probably the predecessor of the current Sandan Jikomi method, when rice and water are added to the fermenting mash in three batches over the period of four days. This method is said to produce stronger sake. There is also a description of 10 other methods for producing alcohol. Some of the methods were quite close to modern shochu distillation and kijoshu. For example, when sake is brewed with the addition of sake from the previous batches. Other methods included a low alcohol beverage made from wheat, sweet sake, cheap sake made by adding more water, and so on. Interestingly, the record also described the sake pressing method by hanging bags with maromi similar to shizukazaki, which is still used at some breweries. From the very start of the discovery of alcohol by early humans, it had a certain mystic aura around it. Think of it. The intoxication that followed the consumption of alcohol was very often perceived as an exoteric experience, a window into a different world, an ability to reach for some superior beings. Therefore, it played an important role in many religions. As the emperor in Japan was believed to descend from the sun goddess Amaterasu, it's no surprise that sake brewing began at the imperial court, probably as a part of rituals performed by the emperor. Of course, the drink was also enjoyed by the emperor and courtiers the same way we enjoy it now. But this mystic experience provided by sake was the main reason it was also used in Shinto shrines as a part of various ceremonies. We know that the role of the imperial court in Japan declined significantly during the Heian period, which lasted from the end of the 8th till the end of the 12th centuries. So gradually the center of sake brewing moved from the court into major temples. Many monasteries and temples started making sake initially just for this purpose, and then saw it as a good source of income. The temples were major economic centers in medieval Japan, due to owing vast lands called shoen, received from the imperial court, as well as from regional lords, as well as huge donations from nobles. They also had very strong manpower, ascetic monks, as well as monk soldiers, common for that time. Monasteries and temples had the most educated people in the country, and a lot of not only spiritual, but also technical knowledge. Not only from within Japan, but also from other countries, as the monks traveled to China and Korea for studying, foreign monks were coming to Japan. Also, we shouldn't forget about the political power wielded by religious institutions in medieval Japan. Major temples in those days were granted what is now called extraterritorial rights and were under the protection of the imperial court. It provided them with opportunities to develop industries which couldn't be developed in towns. Furthermore, thanks to the extraterritorial rights, major temples were the center of what is now called brain gain or 
concentration of human resources because many prodigies who were so unique that they were treated as outlaws by the general public, as well as influential people who had lost in power struggles, poured into such temples for asylum and used their networks with other provinces. So the temples were happy to pick up the sake-making techniques left by the imperial court. As a result, we see the emergence of so-called monk sake or soboshu in Japanese, the sake brewed by monks. It's something similar to what was happening in medieval Europe, when a lot of monasteries became centers of wine and beer making. Soboshu was dominated Japan for a few centuries during the Heian period, through the Kamakura period up to the early Muramachi period in the 14th century, with a brief decline during the Genpei War at the end of the 12th century. Sorry, I have probably overdone with the dates and the names of Japanese historical periods. Got a bit carried away by my love of history. Anyway, Nara was the major center of Soboshu during these times, and it had the most influential and wealthy temples. Kyoto, the imperial capital, also had a fair share of monk sake. We have just talked about the Koji revolt, which involved one of the major temples there, in Ryakuji, Nara temples were making so-called Nantomoro Haku, sake brewed using polished rice both for the koji rice and for the main fermentation rice. Bodai-sen, brewed in Shorakuji temple on Mount Bodai, was the most famous, while Yamodaro and Yamato Tahu no Mine sake were also well known. We are going to talk about Bodai-sen in the next episode. The emergence of independent sake brewers started sometime during the Muramachi period in the 12th-14th centuries and was continuing in parallel with Soboshu. However, during the Sengoku Jedi, the Warring States period, the power of temples was significantly suppressed by warlords, especially by Oda Nobunaga, who saw them as a threat to his authority. As a result, it put the end of Saboshu, at least as a major source of sake in the country. Fortunately, the knowledge accumulated by the temples was not lost entirely, but transferred to independent commercial breweries and to the schools of Toji, sake brewing expert or master breweries, in various areas, and even documented in books such as Domo Shuzoku, a technical book on sake brewing. My plan for this episode was to cover the commercialization of sake brewing in Japan and bodaimoto and other pre-edo brewing techniques, but it looks like I have run out of time, so we will talk about it in the next episode. But now, my and I hope your favorite part, the sake of the episode. Again, I don't have any ancient sake to recommend. So I decided to recommend another sake which you can drink warm or room temperature to celebrate the end of the cold season. It might be still a bit chilly, so it's probably your last chance to enjoy warm sake during cold weather. Who knows? But this sake is also great room temperature. It's called Yoemon Tokubetsu Junmai by Kawamura Brewery from Iwate Prefecture. Made from Miyama Nishiki rice, polished to 55% 
thus Tokubetsu, I think. This sake has a sake meter value of plus 6, but I wouldn't call it dry even with a high acidity of 1.9. I don't know, it tasted quite sweet to me. Yoemon Tokubetsu Junmai Miyama Nishiki is only slightly aromatic with rice, honey notes and a hint of fruitiness. The taste, on the other hand, is quite complex with, as I have already mentioned, sweetness and high acidity. It's slightly effervescent with a butter texture, a medium body and a long finish. Yoemon Tokubetsu Junmai is great hot. The temperature takes off some rough edges, makes the texture even more velvety and balances the acidity. So it's a perfect sake for yummy comfort food like hamburger and simmered taco or kabocha in shiokoji and fried lotus root, which I had it with it. At room temperature, it's great with slightly marinated mackerel sashimi. I really liked Yoimon, and I'm sure that you will enjoy this sake too. That's it for today. I'll be back with more episodes about the evolution of sake brewing and very interesting interviews. For the next episode, I plan to air a very good interview with the Sparkling Sake Brewery. So please subscribe to the podcast if you don't want to miss it. In the meantime, buy a bottle of sake and try it at different temperatures. Read my post with recommendations on uh, sugidama.co.uk or you can look up warm sake at the London Sake website where you can get a 10% discount by entering Sugidama, all in caps, at the checkout. Yoemon Tokubetsu Junmai is available in Natural Natural, a small Japanese grocery chain in London and online. I will put their website in the show notes. Unfortunately, I couldn't find the brewery website. Probably they don't have one. If you have any questions or suggestions about any sake topic, just drop me a line. My email address is alex at sugidama.co.uk or you can tag me on Instagram or Twitter at sugidamablog in one word. Again, if you like the episode and want more, hit the subscribe button and you will get every new episode downloaded into your player as soon as it's out. If you would like to give me a bit of support, please leave a review. Or rate Sugidama Podcast. There are two places you can easily leave a review. On Apple Podcasts, if you use iPhone, iPad or Mac, go to the Sugidama Podcast page there, scroll down to the bottom where you can see reviews. There will be a link to add your own review. Another option is the Podchaser website, where you can leave a review of any podcast regardless of what platform you use to listen to it. I've got a link to my page there in the show notes. You need to register at Podchaser, but it's easy because you can use your Twitter or Facebook credentials and then leave a review. Spotify now allows you to rate the podcast you listen to, so if you use this platform, rate Sugidama Podcast there. Of course, you can share this podcast with your friends, on your social media, chat apps, anywhere. A lot of people mentioned a friend's recommendation as a reason for listening to a particular podcast, so you can be that friend and support Sugidama Podcast. 
Don't forget about the Nomika event at the HIS Japan Premium. I will put the link to the Eventbrite in the show notes. If you go, please say hello there. I am always eager to talk to my listeners. Thanks a lot for listening. Kanpai. Suge, 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 dama blog. Suge, 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 dama blog.